You are Locked On Cavaliers, your daily Cleveland Cavaliers podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked on Cavs podcast. I'm Chris Manning, your host and the site manager over at BeardTheSword.com. You can also find my work at places like Forbes, The Step Back, Cleveland Magazine, a whole bunch of other places. Uh, today's show is a show I'm really pumped about. It's Jonathan Sharks from The Ringer. Uh, Jonathan is a very smart writer. He covers a lot of X's and O's. He is a former SB Nation person. Um, just a whole bunch of great stuff from Jonathan over at at the Ringer, and I got to talk to him for a little bit over twenty minutes. I talked to him about a piece he wrote about Garland and Sexton, and and what he thinks of that duo. Um, he was a really fun guest. Really glad to get again to get to talk to Jonathan. So I think you'll really enjoy what we have to say. Upcoming on this show, um, next week you'll hear a little tease of some interviews that I've done that aren't going to have the audio quality of podcast, but. They're guys that, uh, cast players I've talked to over the summer that I'm very, very excited about uh, and interviews I've done. And they've, it's been a good start in the lead up to Media Day, which is in about a week. Uh, you also have um, Martin Rickman, who's a Cavs fan and works for Uproxx coming on the show next week. So you'll have a bunch of great guests, a whole bunch of other things kind of planned as we get closer and closer to the season. But starting with Jonathan Sharks today, um, check out yesterday's show too if you haven't covering the Cavs with Josh Lloyd from Lockdown Fantasy Basketball talking about this team from a fantasy perspective and sort of figuring out what this rotation is going to look like. Go to Fear the Sword, check out the best case, worst case scenarios that my have been doing with David Zavok and Justin Rowan. Uh, you'll Every player on the team will be covered by next week in the lead up to media day and the whole team as well and John Beeline too. But without further ado, here is my conversation with the Ringers, Jonathan Sharks. Make sure to follow him on Twitter and then go down into the show notes and uh, find the piece that he wrote about the Cavs Young Guard duo. I think you'll, even if you don't agree with all of it, I think you'll find it really interesting. So go check that out. But here's our conversation. Jonathan Sharks from The Ringer. Uh, Jonathan, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, no problem. So you're the Locked On Cavs? Locked On Cavs. Uh, I run FearTheSword.com, SB Nation's Cavs site. Um, do some stuff at under like Ian Levy. You Cavs guy now, then. Yeah, you know, um, the, the Cavs beat's kind of a desolate place right now, um, which is interesting. Um, you know, the Athletic doesn't really have a Cavs guy right now. There is a Cavs guy for Cleveland.com, but, like, that's really it. I guess Varden kind of moved on to bigger and better things. Yes, he's like. he's a national guy for sure at this point. Um, it's a it's a weird it's a weird beat. Um, and and I'm curious from as someone who you know covers the league as whole comes from not from Cleveland. Obviously, what do you what do you just make of where this team is at at the current moment? Like this franchise is at at the current moment. Uh, they're at the point where you probably get as much value watching college basketball. As you, do, <laughs> you know. Like, if you're a Cavs fan, I'd probably be watching Duke and Kentucky as much as I watch this team, honestly. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Um, the, the, the best players are probably not on the roster yet. 
I, and I think that's fair too. Um, I, I want to. We'll start here. You wrote a piece at the Ringer a couple weeks ago that is about basically the idea in this movie, the potential pitfalls of building around a Colin Sexton, Darius Garland backcourt. I want to start with this. What do you just think of Sexton and Garland independently as prospects? Do you do you like them? Are you fans of them? Or are you are you out on them in some ways? I like uh, Garland a lot more than Sexton, with the caveat that he played like two games right, and got hurt, so it's hard to really say, and so you hope he's not, like, frail and injury-prone, because he's not a very big guy, obviously. He's pretty small. But I, I like Garland's game more in terms of the way the league is trending. Sexton, I mean, I think he'll play in the league a long time. He's obviously got talent, but I'm just not a huge fan of undersized guards who don't pass very much, or in our, in our like, not... He can shoot it, but he's more of a slasher. Like, that skill set, to me, is not terribly interesting. What did you make of just when you when you we go back to June and you see what the Cavs did? What did you just make of of them taking <laughs> Garland at five when there's guys like Jared Culver and some other guys on the board in that spot? See, you know, my first thought when they took Garland, I was thinking, okay, obviously, I was thinking it makes sense in Beeline system to have two ball handlers, but I was also kind of wondering if it was. Do you follow football? Yes. It made me think of what the Cardinals did with Kyler Murray and Josh Rosen. Maybe they were like, you know what? We want a lead point guard. We're not sure we're not sure Sexton's the guy. We'll take another one. We'll just keep going drafting until we get a good one. Yeah, I, I it's interesting because it's not there was the, the linkage to him early on in the process. They I think we all sort of when we heard who they liked, he was on the list. I just thought it was like one of those things that when you think about building a modern NBA roster, you think about, and I think very highly of Kobe Altman. I think John Beeline, uh, obviously a very smart basketball guy. This was just a pick that you you pointed this out in an article. Maybe like you're just taking, um, you know, it's like taking Dennis Smith Jr. and then taking Luca in Dallas. Like maybe it's like that. But it's just an interesting kind of thing to try and build around. And then they sort of all did go out of their way to say like, you know, Colin went out of his way to say like I was watching McCollum and Lillard. Like he went out of his way to say stuff like that. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's the goal, right? That's the ultimate goal. But the problem is, a couple problems with that. One, McCollum and Lillard were a lot older when they came out of college. So I, Lillard, I think they're both four-year guys. Maybe McCollum yes. was three. I'm not sure. I don't quite remember now. So, but like, they were... And if you're, if you're smaller, I think it helps to be older, right? That makes sense. Mm-hmm. And it, that wasn't rushed either. It's not like I think from – I mean, McCollum really didn't play much as a rookie. The injury issues played in the yeah, G League. Yeah, so. he played, I think, until year three. Maybe, yeah, they weren't really like a duo until year three. Ahead of him. Yeah. So, like, that complicates so, like, things. That, to me, is a concern. I mean, if you're going to try to do McCollum and Lord, but they weren't that until they were, like, 26, 25. Are you going to wait six years for these guys? I don't think so. Well, and yeah, because, I mean, you get into that point. Like, you have contracts you have to figure out. You have – I mean, Sexton's, you know, only in year two, but, like, you know, it's not like that's, like, a limitless thing you can never, you can't put off forever. He's going to, obviously, at some point, if he keeps putting up numbers, he's going to ask for money, and that, that becomes, like, okay, do you have to just pick the guy or not? Um, what what makes you, when you think about Garland, if if you were to say, like, this guy's really going to hit and maybe offer something different than Sexton, what do you think it is that, that would make him potentially a different sort of fit in the NBA and on this Cavs team than what we saw from Colin in year one? Well, I mean, the big thing is a three-point shot. I mean, Colin's a good shooter, but, like, I feel like up on the article, I feel like Colin slashes and then he shoots off the slash, whereas Garland, that dude will shoot from anywhere at any time. Like, it, his game tape is crazy, man. He wasn't really playing anyone, but, man, some of those games, like, 
Yeah, that guy is scoring at will. It was. I think they they saw Kyrie. It was Kyrie-esque, like the ease with which he scores the ball from all over the floor. I think they fell in love with that. Would be my guess. And they weren't the only team, right? Like the Wolves wanted him real bad. I, it seemed like a lot of teams were trying up to get Darius Garland. What did you think of him coming out of high school and before he obviously had the injury at Vanderbilt and then basically was deemed kind of off the sidelines for a long time? Um, I don't really follow these guys too closely coming out. I'm, I'm like, aware of their reps, but I, I keep an open mind until they come to college. So, like, Garland, for me, is hard to have too strong an opinion because, like, my basis of him is, like, four or five games. So I'm, like, like there are some guys who watch all the high school tournament stuff. I just... I gotta watch so much NBA. It's hard to catch people with everything. No, that's fair. Did you? Were you? Would you have liked? To, I I know why they sat him, and there's like some stuff out there about him maybe having another knee surgery, and I think they were being very cautious with him. But would you have liked to see him at summer league? Like, do you feel like that would have been? An, even though we don't always learn a ton, um, do you feel like that would have been worthwhile to see him there, and maybe you know see KPJ and see um, those guys all kind of play this summer, even if Colin and, and Jetty Osmond and guys weren't gonna play. I mean, it worked well for me. I was out there watching some pretty bad basketball. Yes. But no, I don't think it's a stupid big deal, really. Do you think one of these two guys, it's something you, I think, one of the things you had not in your piece, and I think it's one of the things I found most resonant with it, um, that one of, that there has to be some malleability, that one of these guys is going to have to push themselves to do something different. I think Colin did that last year. If you look at the numbers, at least, like there is some catch-and-shoot stuff there that is interesting about him maybe being can, at least being able to do that, even if the secondary creation and some of those other concerns aren't going away. But when you look at both of their kind of skill sets from how you understand them at this moment, and again, they're both very young, both have a lot of basketball still to play. Do you, does one of you strike them as being more malleable and maybe being more willing to make this work than the other? That's a really good question. It's honestly hard to say. I mean, Sexton, I guess I feel like I lean more towards Garland if only because Sexton we've seen for two years now, and it seems like he is who he is. He's the guy who gets buckets. He's super aggressive. I would say, like, I would, say for, I would think if I was trying to, like, coach these guys right now, I would, like, want to press Sexton on defense. I would say, I need you to become better at defense. I think you have more athletic ability than Garland. You're, you're bigger, even though Garland, you're not very big, bigger than Garland. I would need you to be a defender, and I would say, Garland, I want you to pass the ball more. I think that would be the two lanes. I think they both got the scoring and shooting, but if you've got a backward you pass or defend, you're never going to be good. That's my big concern with this, is right. Like, I, I don't think Colin, as a passer, and I don't think the Cavs' injuries and roster situation last year, playing a bunch of minutes with Jordan Clarkson, for example, um, and the kind of the scheme they were running really did him any favors. But that doesn't project to be like a very good skill set for him based on sort of what we know about him. And um, the guy works really hard and all that stuff. But like, I do think he's a scorer first, first and foremost. And the, the defensive thing is like, the Cavs were a historically bad defensive team last year. They don't project to be any better this year, and it's not like they hired a, def- a guy who like loves coaching defense. John Beeline's bread and butter is offense, and I wonder where if it's really like feels like it's on JB Bickerstaff and Antonio Lang to come in and be kind of the guy shepherding that defensive side of the ball. And it's not like the rest of the roster is loaded with defenders either. Um, so I, I, and I also just wonder until we see the roster get a little cleaner, I don't know if it's really optimized to allow these guys to grow together in a way that is like the most coherent thing for the franchise going forward. I, I don't know if that makes sense, but I just don't feel like the roster yeah, right now is where it is. I, I do feel like you could develop bad habits. And I think that's the hope with Beeline. 
college coach. Because right now the roster is like, it's space in the floor, jack of shots. You're not going to play defense. Because it's hard to sell a guard and playing defense when he knows his guys behind him play defense either, right? Like, even if he executes the defense correctly, they'll probably still score. So it's hard to, like, keep doing that at a high level, executing when they're not, you're not seeing any results from it. So that's a concern. And Beeline, too, like, I don't know if you followed him or dug into it, but really, he really took a next step as a coach when he gave the defense to guy Luke Yaklich, who's actually now in my school, Texas, I'm pumped about. And Yaklich is pretty much the defensive coordinator for Beeline, and that's when his team really became one of the best programs in the country, is when he gave the key defense to that guy. So when was that, and how do you kind of note that that's like a jump that happens? Um, it was well reported. It happened a couple of years ago. I mean, you can look at like Michigan under Beeline was never really a great defensive team until about two, three years ago. And then from everywhere, it sounds like it was this guy Yaklich who was kind of giving the keys to that. Do you like? The, did you like the Beeline hire? Are you interested in the Beeline hire? Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, he's a college coach and. He's offensive-minded. He runs very modern uh, principles. Like He was one of the first college coaches to really get the spread offense. Um, he did a great job. I mean, he was really one of the best coaches in the country in college. He's a little old, which is a concern. You rarely see a guy in his, I think, mid-60s going, making his NBA debut. That's a pretty unique situation. So that's a concern, just the energy level and the transition and how flexible will he be given how long he's been a coach. But it's a really cool story. I mean, this is a guy that came up from, like, the bottom of the barrel of the coaching. And, you know, like, D, D3, something like that. Mm-hmm. But a coach for, like, 35 years and coached up the, up the ladder. I do wonder if he looked at it like that was the best thing he was going to have for a while. It was time to cash out and get, like, a... I think the concern if I was Cleveland, if I was a Cleveland fan, was did he look at it like this is a cash out? Like, this is my golden parachute, a big NBA salary. Yeah, I think that's a fair. I think that's a concern. Do you think him? I mean, they clearly went all in on offense. I don't think you would look at the three guys they drafted, um, even their the two way guy they got out of Kansas State, Dean Wade, as defensive minded prospects or prospects that project to be really good defenders. Garland, Windler, Kevin Porter Jr., Dean Wade are all guys who tilt, I think, more towards the offensive end. Were you surprised that like they are just clearly at least it seems like in this first batch of young guys they got really leaning into that side of the ball under Beeline, or they didn't take like a, a potential rim protector or a guy that th- they think they could at least plug in and be a little bit better on defense than some of the guys they have also have on the roster? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, looking back on it, so it's, this is year two of the rebuild. I think the decision they're really going to regret, and they're not the only ones, is uh, passing up on Shea Gillis-Alexander. I think if they had taken him instead of Sexton, I think that really changes the whole franchise. I think SGA is like your franchise, two-way point guard, good passer, good shooter, really has the whole package, 6'6". Six, six. I think if they had taken him, you know, then you could take Garland. Then, like, it's all about like, like what you're saying. Like, if you have a guy like SGA, you can guard both positions. Now you have Garland playing off the ball, being hidden on defense. It just fits so much better together. and. I think that was the concern is they've gotten a bunch of guys who are obviously all offensive, a bunch of empty calories. Like, is this going to be the next Phoenix Suns? They get a bunch of young guys who put up stats on teams out of nowhere. I think the hope – I mean, you don't want to be the Suns. You also don't want to, like, take it as far as the Suns and have, like, a goat, like, pooping in your GM's office. So, like, let's, like, keep the goats – 
keep the goats out of this. But um, the, the SG thing is interesting because it's it, you're right. Like a lot of teams seem to miss on him. There's like some smoke out there that he like kind of telegraphed to the Cavs through his agent that like he didn't work out for them. He didn't want to be there. Yeah. And I th- that, so I um, I profiled him last summer league, and he told okay. me that he had a promise from the Clippers, and then he shut himself down and didn't work out with anyone. But if I'm an NBA team, I don't care. I agree I with that. I watch your film. I know how good you are. I care less. I'm drafting you, bro. That's the that's the, that's the game. Yeah, I, I think there's something with the Cavs where, like, they like, they really like guys to, like, show that they want to be there, and they value that in a way that I think, like, I don't, I'm not saying it's, like, a deciding factor for them, but I think it matters to them, in a, and, like, they want guys who, like, aren't going out of their way to be weird about being in Cleveland, if that makes sense. And I, and I think that that's, that's, somewhat that's, happened with that's SGA. Trouble, that's troublesome to me. That speaks to a lack of confidence. Yeah. I mean, Sexton, like, I think kind of sold himself really, really well in that draft process. So I think for what it's worth, that's there. Um, which of the two young guys that they also drafted this year, Kevin Porter Jr., Dylan Windler, um, do you prefer one over the other? I think it's kind of clear who has more upside, but is there? do you like both those guys? I didn't have a great feel for his game. I didn't get to see him a ton, you know, playing a pretty small conference. I think he's got a chance to stick as a league because he's a shooter. He's pretty skilled, and he, he, I think he got, like, a ton of rebounds for a guy as guy a shooter. That's pretty impressive. He's very skilled. I think the question of Lindler just the defense. Can he stick on the floor? He's playing so many bad defenders. Is he the guy who gets kind of lost in the shuffle? I think Porter is the guy who everyone wants to see play. Like, that guy's talent level... Like, I remember talking to the scout after the USC Vanderbilt game, and he was like, to me, Porter is a top five talent in this draft. And, like, I didn't really buy that, but I could see where he was coming from. Like, there's no question the guy is very, very talented. How do you, with what went wrong for him and just seemingly how, like, him, he kind of just had, like, a very odd freshman season, and there are just some of the concerns about him. Do you think, like, the beeline and, you know, his with a, getting a guy like his talent level and kind of he's going to preach culture, 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 and system, do you think that is, uh, in theory, like, a, a good way to get the most out of a guy like Kevin Porter Jr.? I think that, to me, is just, like, one of the bigger questions sort of about how they build this with KPJ because they love him. They thought very highly of him. They paid a bunch of money to get the pick to take him at the end of the first round. Is this the way to build up a guy like that in the best possible way? It's, a, it's an interesting question, right, because – Part of being a young guy in the league is getting minutes in a role, and he'll get his minutes on this team. But then it's like maybe he'd be better off. And you talk about culture, but like culture starts with like winning veterans, which they don't really have right now. You know, so like I guess they still have Tristan and Love and a couple other finals guys, but like he's not going to walk into a good culture because the team is going to lose like 60 games. So is that does he become less willing to you know play within a system? Is it really like? If you forget the off-court stuff, the big knock on Porter last year was that he didn't—he really broke the USC system. He's like, he called his own number constantly. He was like, I can score whatever I want, so I'm going to do it. And that's been play well at USC. I don't want to play in the NBA either. Like, right, if you're the fourth guard off the bench and you're just jacking shots, right? Yeah, that's a problem, especially if, like, that doesn't seem to be what Beeline, like, likes. Like you can't have him and Jordan Clarkson doing that together. He's definitely a ball moving kind, ball movement coach. Yeah, like him and like it's one of the things. Like I don't know how you play Jordan Clarkson a ton in a John Beeline system. Like that's not what Jordan Clarkson does. Um, What would you do with Kevin Love if you were if you had the keys to the Cavs franchise and you could kind of chart your path and figure out what to do with Kevin? How would you approach that? Um, It just depends. 
depends. Like if I get like Zach Collins, I do that in a second. Right? If I if I had if I had to trade Love, I had to take a bad salary get a Zach, a Zach Collins, a two way potential two way big man, young big. That would be done. Like I would, you know, I'd drive him to Portland. But if like that's not feasible, if you can't get a good value for him, then I I don't see any reason to trade him for nothing. You know, because a you've got to pay someone. So whatever, right? The salary floor is like 90% of the cap now. So really, his money is not a concern. And then B, having a shooting big man is always valuable. And really, a shooting passing big man is valuable if you're going to score first guard to on a flash. I think Love could make those guys better. So to me, I would trade him for a talented young player, but I wouldn't dump him for nothing. What do you think of just the the other side of the guys aside from love? When you think about the Nances and the Jetty Osmonds uh, and those kind of guys of the world that seem to be part of the plan to some degree, maybe you could throw Zizic in there or Tristan. We'll see what happens with his next contract. What do you just make of some of the other guys that the Cavs do have, and do you, do you kind of do you like any of them? Do you think they fit with what they seem to be trying to do here? I like Osmond. I think Osmond is the keeper that group you mentioned. I mean, Nance's talent, but there's just so many fives now. It's just Right, like it's just hard for a five to really stand out anymore unless you're really special. And Nance's a good player; he'll stick in the league somewhere. But he feels like a guy who's gonna bounce around for a while. I think Osman. I mean, like LeBron. Like you look at Osman, a good a good relationship, assist for turnovers, good shooter. He can score. Pretty versatile player, good size. Like I like. I think Osman is like the like one guy, the keeper of that group. I think he's gonna be a solid NBA starter for a while. It's not a star or a good bench player. Like, he's a good player. Yeah, I have a hard time reading him totally because if you look at year one and year two for him, year one, he's a rookie, um, comes in on this LeBron team that LeBron drags to the finals. He basically is get used as a defensive stopper. Okay, so last – and by stopper, I mean come in and play defense because we have veterans that don't want to do that. The next year – Yeah, he, have, have energy essentially. Right. Last year he um, doesn't in, – in kind of a bad offensive system – is overmatched defensively. David Nwaba misses a bunch of time. Uh, he has to defend fours and bigger guys and kind of gets bulldozed. His defensive numbers are frankly terrible, although I don't think they're quite accurate to what he actually could be. And then you watch him play with the Turkish national team, and you're like, okay, like there's something really interesting here. I don't think we've seen like a system that at, or like a situation that actually optimizes him. I think beeline on offense can be that. Defensively, just because the only good wing defender on the roster they have that they have right now is Cinderius Thornwell, like I don't think I don't know oh, I what that means. They had him. He's really did they trade for him or did they just pick him up. Picked him up. Clippers let him go. Oh, okay. He's the only good wing defender they have. That's like my biggest concern. So is Jetty going to have to defend like the best scorer if he's starting and Thornwell's not, or like the second best scorer? Like I don't know what that does for him, and I I don't know. I think this is the closest we've seen to a good situation for him. I just want to see if it actually manifests. This is year three, and I feel like if it's going to happen, this is kind of the year, especially as he goes into, like, he's due a contract next summer. He'll be a restricted free agent. Like, we're already kind of there with him, and it feels like he's been in the league for five seconds. It's weird because if you look at his game, like, he's realistically never going to be a primary option, probably not a secondary either on a good team. But then if you're moving guy to a third or fourth role on offense, he has to defend, right? If you're going to be, like, a secondary guy, or a tertiary guy, you got to play defense if you're going to be a starter. So I think he could get trapped in that range where maybe his ceiling is like as a bench wing, right? Because he's neither like, because he's kind of good at everything, but he's not elite on offense or defense. And it's just tough if you're kind of stuck in the middle. 
But it kind of feels like he'll, he'll get a contract, right? Because why not? What else are they going to do? They'll yeah. pay him probably like 10 a year. He'll probably start for a bad team for a while, and then he'll go somewhere else. Yeah, I don't think that's unreasonable. I think they would like to just hopefully um, get him in a better position. Last thing, Jonathan, thank you again so much for, for the time. Um, I'm going to put you just on the quick spot here. Are the Cavs the worst team in the NBA this year? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, hmm. oh, I'm, 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 right now I'm scrolling through like, the NBA standings. Just to keep my I think it's like somewhere between them, the Grizzlies, and the Knicks off the top of my head. Those are the three that scream super bad. And the Hornets, because the Hornets pay Terry a crap ton of money. Yeah, I would say the Cavs are the worst team, yeah. Like, do you, do you when you think about this, just gut feeling, is it significant margin? Is it like, is there anyone that you think like could be worse? Because it, to me, it's like the Knicks and the Hornets. Yeah. All, I mean, those teams will all be bad. And Memphis in the West, too. So, like, even if their quality's higher, they got to play so much tougher teams. Yeah. So, I think all four of those teams will be in the race for whoever is the top. You know, maybe it's LaMelo Ball. Who knows? <laughs> Cavs. Maybe all four of those guys. 2020 draft, the Cavs take a third guard. Third year in a row, um, really just. Hey, Lamelo's six seven, six eight though. That's true. He could play some three. Uh, we can find Jonathan. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, you can find you can find me on Twitter, I believe, at Jonathan Sharks, and you can find your work at the Ringer. And then you host you're on the Draft Class podcast and the NBA show over there. Um, they should definitely go check out the Ringer. It's a great, great website. Um, but thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate the time. Yeah, no problem, man. Thanks again to Jonathan Sharks. Again, find him on Twitter at Jonathan Sharks. Find him at The Ringer. Find him on in their podcast feed as well, The Ringer NBA Show. Um, he does the draft class show when draft season really gets going with Danny Chow and Kevin O'Connor, who's a former SB Nation person too. So go check that out. Um, check out his piece again in the show notes. Check out the best case, worst case stuff we're doing over at Fear of the Sword. And check out all the stuff we're going to have coming once Media Day gets coming around and once everything really gets going with 2019-20 Cavs. But have a great weekend, too. Enjoy everything you have going on. Hopefully you get some good weather. And thanks again for listening. Talk to you again on Monday when uh, another show coming up talking about something I think every returning Cav could add to their game. I think you'll enjoy that one. And we'll talk to you then. Thanks. Thanks.